Welcome to Curva Mundial. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Curva Mundial. I am your host, Sal Bono. And today, my next guest is, in my opinion, the greatest singer in the world. And there is almost <laughs> no debate on it. Her new album, The Life of Margaret Cornelius, was released earlier this year and is one of the best records of 2022 so far. Please welcome to the show, South African singer and Bafana Bafana and Bayana Bayana supporter, Tuello. Tuello, welcome. Hi, Sal. Um, thank you for having me. This is crazy. I mean, you really put too much on me. It, it makes me so stressed out. I love it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to do so great. <laughs> I have to be the best singer. I have to be the best musician to God. Thank you for oh, having me, though. I'm so sorry. I don't want to add any stress <laughs> to anybody, to, to you, to anybody. Um, you just being here is already the best. So you, you've already done your job. You've checked that box. So we're good. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, a, on your soccer podcast, which is wild to me. Um, yeah. I mean, I hope I can add something to this. <laughs> You can, and you will, and I know you will. That's why I asked you to come on. Um, thank you for always, um, how do I say this, uh, for supporting my nerddom. Like, I'm a, I'm the eternal nerd, and thank you for always, like, supporting me on the projects that I'm doing. So this is, this is a really wonderful way to, like, combine all the world I've been a part of and want to be a part of um, and promote you and, and tell your story. Uh, because right, yeah, because right now you're coming to us from South Africa. You left New York yes. City where you were living for many years and headed back home just before the world changed with COVID in 2020. Right. And oh. then you went into lockdown. What was that like for wow. you as an artist? And what was that experience like? And um, so I'd left New York City and then went back to New York. <laughs> and then I ended up coming with my whole team to South Africa just before it changed and then I was like I'm going back to New York and, and then it all changed but you know what I feel like for the longest time I wasn't prepared for most of the things that the world wants me to have ready ready you know and so like even though it was the strangest thing it was the first time I've been with my family for a year like, wow. since, since I was a teenager. So like it was really getting to know them all and then getting to know me as an adult, which, which was uh, pretty cool, you know, I think. Um, so I, I mean, I, I loved it. And then at some point it really it was just like, okay, I can't, I'm too used to New York City. I'm too used to living in the world of Berlin or, you know, someplace. Um, and then I ended up living in Medellin, Colombia. Wow. Yeah, the, the, the most part of last year. So <laughs> the madness of it all. It's all COVID, you know. But and I'm like, doing you were able to navigate in this strange time too, which is amazing to me. You're sort of, you've always been this musical nomad and I love it. When did you originally leave home? When did you originally leave South Africa and decide like, okay, um, I'm going to leave the farm and the rural area that I grew up to see everything else that I've only read and heard about 
and but you didn't just leave like you like left <laughs> you I like left you you took off and and yet you still call mom every week so kids call your mother true true you have to like you know I I call my mother every week because for the you know after a while I realized I've always been one of those people who kind of understands my parents position in the world they've had a really like tumultuous but exciting life and I always was just like oh my gosh I don't even know if I want to have kids because to have such an exciting life and then have children it's like it's all too much you know and so like when having left home I was just like I had to call my mother so that she's not scared about whether I'm okay and surviving and like that would kill them I was like I am going to kill my parents. I know it. <laughs> I'm going to be the one who does it in, you know, who does them in. So um, that's why I call them really. Um, but I actually left when I was about 17, like 16, 17. Wow. Um, and I, I'd been homeschooled. So I come from a really rural area. I grew up on a farm. I was homeschooled extremely well. Um, that's why I just love my parents so much, like to the point where I was so well homeschooled that I didn't feel a difference being in the US and being amongst Americans. I just felt the difference of I'm definitely not in South Africa. I'm definitely not in a rural area. But in terms of knowing things and seeing the bigger picture, I think it's because of them and also being homeschooled that they allowed me to to like explore so much and even though they are traditional people they are untraditional in that way um that they just really wanted us to have a, a greater worldview um yeah and just better opportunities i think and even though i and i and i left by myself to be honest and i just like had to survive <laughs> on on my own like, so like where did you anyway. land where did you go first um, I, I got to, well, I got to New York City and then like very quickly I moved to Connecticut and then I moved back to New York. And that was that. Like, yeah, wow. <laughs> that, that, that was really it. And I knew, I mean, I was going to live in New York. It doesn't matter what, because even when I was in Connecticut, um, I went to Fairfield for like six months and then I switched to, uh, you know, community college and I switched to UConn to University of Connecticut which has a great basketball team by the way yep. <laughs> uh women's basketball too um and so I I moved to that and I moved to New York City because I just could not drive anymore I hate driving so I was just like I need to walk and I used to be in New York every weekend anyways um and so I just like I just had to move, no right. matter what. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like and that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like my musical journey actually started in like the US. I'd never been a singer until I got, I got to the US, um, which I'm very grateful for, you know? <laughs> so what was the catalyst for you deciding, like I have the most extreme set of vocal pipes and range and I can, do that like what what was the thing that got that so out weird. of okay there's several stories but when um i was in connecticut i lived with i i mean obviously like when you're 
a, a migrant. You know all the other migrants who are around <laughs> um, and you kind of all hang out together and we all get, we go to um, karaoke and like once in a while I'll, I'll be like, okay, I'll go up and sing. And because it, in South Africa, people sing really well. And so I am the last of seven children and we grew up with like 40 people in the house. My parents are community organizers, they're pastors, they are, you know, they were like working in the, like during apartheid. They've been like in the community for so long. And so there's so many people who needed help. And in, in Africa, you take in also family. So we grew up with so many people and everyone sang so well. And to be the last of like people, you know, a household that sings beautifully, no one hears you, nor did I hear myself. And <laughs> when, I, when I'm in South Africa, I get really sick, which is something I didn't know how to remedy until I got to the US and I was like, oh, it's a weather issue. It's like a pollen issue. It's an allergy issue. Because in South Africa, typically, I just have such a hard time singing that during quarantine, I actually thought I lost my voice. I was like, oh, I've been lying to everybody. I actually don't sing. <laughs> so, and so like, I, you know, I never like was able to sing until like two, three years into me living in the US. Um, and kind of my voice cleared up and my allergies were getting better. And, um, and so I, I, I went to karaoke once and I was singing and it wasn't really good. I think I did in Aretha Franklin because I practiced it for weeks because, you know, I didn't really know American music so well. Like, I just knew it, but I didn't know words to things and, like, you know, phrases and all of that. And um, this gentleman who was hosting the karaoke thing just, like, called me over afterwards. And I didn't really sing well that day, believe me. And he said, you know what you're missing? You're a really good singer, but you need to sing from down there. And I was like, down there? And to be honest, I don't even want to like freak you out, but I thought when he means down there, he means my vagina. Like I was like, that's the that's the <laughs> that's the lowest part. Like I, like I could you know feel my soul, or like I could just like sing from. And so for the longest time, I was like sing from down there. And like from that day, I understood what he meant. He really meant, I mean, sing from the gut. But because in my interpretation, was sing from down there. I just started singing from down there. Hey, <laughs> and it got and, better. And it has tremendous, tremendous. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to say it because, you know, but you get oh what goodness. I'm getting at. The, the, the power it possesses, that we'll leave it at that. But, <laughs> there we go. Um, the, I, wow. I was not expecting that. I was also, I don't know, I I don't know what I wasn't expecting more, the karaoke or like, you know, sing from down there, but it is. I actually didn't go to karaoke that much. It was like probably four or five times and I needed to probably meet him. Yeah, that's it. It was a kismet experience. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, wow. So, So karaoke, random, random thing. And then here we are. And you had been gigging for so long. You had, you had been playing. I would see you all the time at Rockwood Music Hall. You'd play at Brooklyn Bowl, you know, very prestigious and fun and important venues in New York City. But then you had also played on the Letterman show too, right? Like you, you were on Letterman. That's true. That's so wild. That was with Angelique. 
But I think he, she was doing, like, the tour for the Peter Gabriel, some of the, like, the music that she was, like, doing, I think, covering in one of her albums. So I just got, I had all of these lucky opportunities. And to be honest, this is why I know, like, music found me. I didn't find music whatsoever. Um, it's the gentleman at the karaoke bar. It is, um, like, you know, it's meeting people who would just, like, call me out of nowhere. So I was in New York City. And um, there's another, there was another girl who was a friend of mine who like we'd meet because she speaks my language. And like, there was only three people I think in the US who spoke my language at that point, um, probably still is. Um, and so she, we met in New York City. She was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're in New York. And I'm at the studio, come and meet me. And then, you know, we can go and have dinner or lunch or whatever. And so I went to meet her at this place and this was like the Minskoff Theatre where the Lion King runs runs out of. Um, and I ended up auditioning for Hugh Masagela, who's like a famous musician from South Africa, who, you know, also lived, like is kind of a, a US musician because like during apartheid, he was exiled in the US and became this huge jazz musician there. And so that was my first professional gig. Even though I was just like, I mean, I was waiting for her and they like called me and they were like, you should just try. Like, you should just try and sing and we'll see, you know. Um, and so I, I started getting random people calling me and I ended up recording for Angelique Kijo and ended up on The Letterman Show with her and all of these like amazing places. <laughs> you know, I was just like, people won't believe this. People will not believe this. But it's so true yeah. and it's all true. And of course, I forgot yeah. the most important, I'm, I'm such an idiot. I forgot the most important venue you've played. You've headlined oh. the Apollo. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it still. I can't believe anything I do. <laughs> I did, I know, it's so cool. I, I've just really? been fortunate to like have this weird ticket to watch your ride. And it <laughs> is, it's been like, it's for me, as a fan and as someone who just absolutely adores you and everything that you do, it is, I, I just, I'm watching greatness unfold all the time, but I'm seeing it as from a front row seat. And I have like, and I've, and I've been in such a fortunate position to have met you and gotten to know you, but also because of just watching your rise. And it yeah. is the most, and again, it's every time I hear about it, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Oh my and, gosh. And, but it all manifests into this new record, The Life of Margaret mm. Cornelius, mm. and which you have been crafting for a while now. And the album is a record of many themes. It's a record of empowerment. It's a record of diverse mm. sounds and emotions. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, as we touched upon earlier, it is a love letter to your mother. So who is Margaret? And what, is, what, what was it like making music around her? Um, I mean, it's easy to make music around my mother. <laughs> like, I mean, she is so inspiring. Like, I, I told her when I was a teenager, I don't want to be like her, but I want to do everything like her. Like, I grew up, it, it was so easy because I grew up actually with my mother. She's always worked her whole life. She was always busy. She took us everywhere to her work. It, it, you know, whether it was like community service stuff, whether it was like church stuff, whether it was. And so I could see, I grew up watching this human being be so kind and generous and great and genuine. 
to each and every person she met. And also, like, men, like, like really prominent men would come to my mother for advice. And I think growing up, I was like, that's what, that's how powerful I want to be and still, and still humble and still find it, you know, like, like my mother, people still stop her in the street. She's like a celebrity and she stops people in the street. Like she's one of those people who's so super kind and so generous with everything she has, even her knowledge. Um, and so like, I just, you know, I was like, I want to be, I want to be admired by men as because men were the people who did so well in our society at that point. Um, and just, I thought, wow, to be able to be the one who, who counsels great people and still be like this, you know, and still be with everyone and still be with, with the poorest people and sit with them on, on a, you know, the dirtiest ground and eat their food and, and figure out how to, for them to do better. Like that's my mother. That's always her. And so like, I wrote this in, in, with the idea of, you know, this person who goes, sees injustice and says, I'm going to do something about it. And I'm not even going to complain. I'm not even going to chastise. I'm just going to be that person who immerses themselves and, and figures out what to do for others. You know, and so like, that's kind of the, I just wrote the rec, it was so easy to write <laughs> because I live with that spirit with me all the time. You know, she's like just one of those people who, even if I do something bad, like when I was 18 and I was like running around clubbing, I'd be like, <laughs> okay, what would my mother say? Like right in the middle of a club, <laughs> like being crazy or whatever. And I'd just be like, okay, uh-huh, mm-hmm. I mean, my mother somewhere's out there in the middle of rural Africa, you know? And here I am with the greatest opportunity on earth, messing myself up or something like that. And so like, you know, she's always at the back of my mind, I think. Um, and I just wrote it out of, it was so easy. A part of the songs really are like some of the first, first songs I'd ever written, including St. Margaret. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, like living in, in the US, um, you know, as an immigrant, as a, just, you know, a young girl trying to figure it out um, and seeing the things that I never thought I would see, you know, including the fact that in every part of the world, there is injustice in every, you know, there is poverty and, and this kind of certain level of indifference that we all must try and change. And so like, you know, I wrote it from all of those different parts of things. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if I answered anything. Oh man, I'm so like, just awe-inspired because you told me the story of your mother before, but like hearing it again, I mean, it's been a few, I mean, you and I have corresponded via email throughout part, like towards the later part of this pandemic, but, um, but hearing it again, it's just, especially in the world that we live in now, that yeah. it's, you know, she's one of these silent hidden figures, these silent hidden right. heroes that are just doing just small things. I mean, it's almost, it's yep. a lesson to all of us now. It's a let, you know, yeah. we see what's happening in Ukraine. We see what's happening in oh Ethiopia. We see what's happening just, you know, in Venezuela and, yep. you know, and 
you've lived in Europe, you've lived in South America, you've lived in Africa, you know, and mm -hmm. we need more St. Margaret's in the world. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh, we could clown her, but I, I, you know, we can all do better. I, I think of this of myself all the time. Like, I'm so, like, I have such a high level of self-inquiry constantly. That's good. <laughs> it's like, am I, do am I doing right? Am I, you know, did I encourage if I, if, if I was upset, you know, did I voice my, my discomfort or concerns, but did I also encourage? Like, it's always those thoughts within me <laughs> now what was it like for you and your family especially growing up during the struggle like because now mm -hmm. uh, there was a point like freely she can do this now and your parents can do this now but right. in the 80s in the 70s and prior to that like this was illegal you know technically Absolutely. what they were doing would be you're an enemy of the state and you're getting locked away you know right were they were they doing this underground were they doing that like what what was that like what, you know in growing up in that environment right well um i think my my parents had the guise of being uh, in the clergy was really good um for them and so it was natural for them to take in anyone whether people were like running away from the coast in inside of south africa you know, or leaving or like hiding. I think our family, our home was always that space. Like people could go to town and go, I'm new here, I need to stay somewhere. And everyone goes, go to that house. <laughs> and they would just come and live with us. And so I, I think that's the kind of favor my parents got because they had like that clergy thing behind them. And, um, I mean, for them, it was always very, very difficult. My mother's family history is so intricate. So is my father. I mean, I'm working on um, on mining issues currently in South Africa, even though I'm only stay, you know, I'm only here for another month. But um, when I do come here, I literally spend time working through land issues because um, all of those things are such difficult things that they had to go through during apartheid that now we have to fix. Um, and so uh, they, like, even for us, at some point, you know, my family had to run away. And this was like to the very end of apartheid um, because there was infighting everywhere in South Africa. You know, if just like to, to sum it up, they obviously like apartheid was a really difficult time. I think my oldest sister of all of us knows it, knows June 16th, knows the upheaval of that time. Um, and like, you know, my experience of having known my parents um, work in politics, so they've never been affiliated with any political party whatsoever, but they had the, um, privilege I think of working in government they had the privilege of being public servants at some point um, and just like I think they continually are community organizers my my dad has never you know has never wanted to affiliate with anyone to the point where I think he got ostracized because they were just like you need to choose a side and he was like no I choose us you know <laughs> I really choose us um, they they are like that's why I'm always just like, oh my gosh, magnanimous. They are like, to this day, I'm always just like, why? Why are you guys like this? You're putting too much pressure on me to be 
to be super good, you know, to be like a very good person. And so, um, yeah, but, but, you know, the story of my parents in its entirety is magical. And, you know, like they are two people who met through an arranged marriage and had the same values, like just super kind, super generous. They knew they wanted to help people. They knew they wanted to give us as their kids a certain life. So even, you know, to the point where I was homeschooled and homeschooled like so in a such a special way, you know? And so like they, they are very like, you know, very special people. And I think um, apartheid also played a part in them being, being so forceful in the way they, they did things, you know, like my mother still to this day, like during the time that HIV AIDS was so, so intense in South Africa, she'd left public service um, and she, like people would come to her every day and say, I need, I need to live. Can you help me? You know? And she would like, she'd just like make up these things. Um, the last time I was in South Africa, like I think last year, before I left for Colombia, um, early, early last year, um, this lady I met, you know, was like, you know, your mother, when I had HIV, it was going into full blown AIDS. Your I came to tell your mother and she took me. She said, well, you know, go home. I'll call you at eight at night. And she called at eight. And then she was like, get ready. I'm going with you. And she went to pick her up in her village. And they went to the mayor's house at 12 at night. She's like, my, my mother has all of these strange ways of doing things. And she was like, she knocked on the mayor's house, at the mayor's house. And she was like, this is the only time the mayor is going to listen to me. Um, we're going to figure out how to give you a job, how to get you, you know, like sorted out, how to make sure the hospital serves you and all of that. But like, that's my mother all the time. Super unorthodox. Like, just like, you know, really spends her time doing this kind of work. And so they've always been like that throughout apartheid. Um, and yeah, yeah. And my father, I'm always just like, he has the, the he's the antidote to racists. Like, he's, 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 he's the antibiotic, let me say. He knows how to calm racists down. Like to, like, and so like, I think during apartheid, that apartheid made them this, the, like these types of, I don't even know. I, I can't even get to their level. Um, but they survived it. I, I, we need like a whole podcast just on them, like a whole series just on on them. Yeah, definitely. There's so much, like so. There's so much, and so much I want to like tell the world, and so much I also want to tell the world about the the land issue in South Africa and indigenous indigenous people of South Africa, you know, like me, and uh, all of these things that are so intricate that I think also like South Africans don't get to tell because there's this new um, covering that says we're in the new South Africa and no one should talk about this, but all of this is still affecting us so much. So um, yeah, it's like all of, all of these things, but you know, um, they fared well, they're still alive and, <laughs> and living on a farm. I mean that, I, I didn't expect the I didn't expect this to go there and I'm happy it did because it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's an unbelievable insight because again, like the, the point of this podcast is to get all the different perspectives from the world and Mundial and the title means the world. So let's, you know, let's hear from everybody. 
Um, so cool. But I, this is, it's already been a trip and it's unbelievable. Um, so I, I, you know, again, we're traveling without moving here, but I want to just shift the focus just a little bit to what the podcast actually is about. Here comes a little bit of soccer talk. Um, Boom. You know, m- music like soccer is best around the fans. Uh, the pandemic shunned both of those experiences, but as we see people come back out and enjoying things like we did before, as a performer, what is it like being the catalyst for someone's enjoyment? Being, ooh, as, as, as a performer. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't perform from that standpoint. I am, I am, I really do music just so that people can be, you know, can be um, happy and more than anything for me to, to let out everything that could possibly make me crazy. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, like <laughs> you know, if I just let it in, I'm a, a, a lone ranger. And so um, I think because I'm super observant and I live in a, a mostly quiet world, I try to, we grew up with too many people in the house, so I generally just like to be alone. <laughs> um, and I, I think because of that and because that allows me to really observe the world in a specific way and take it in. Um, I'm hoping that when I relay it to people, it it hits, it uh, maybe changes a viewpoint. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. All this work, like as someone who has studied your shows and has reviewed your shows and has enjoyed your shows and have brought complete strangers to your show, I mean, strangers to you that like didn't know your music. And I said, look, let's just come, you know, come with me, you know, friends of mine, um, watch this. That all makes perfect sense now. Like as I see you on stage, for those that have never seen Tuello on stage before, she's the ultimate punk rock princess. Um, has yeah. the most bedazzled, beautiful sneakers, always in like <laughs> awesome dress, makeup that you know would rival any fashion <laughs> runway. And but the shows are the most inclusive things that you could be a part of. And it's a very small band, a drummer, a keyboardist, yep. a guitarist, occasionally a bassist. But mm-hmm. but the power is in your voice and how you just the warmth and welcoming and you bring out the best in why people want to go out. And because of that was stripped from us for so long that, you know, now to see you again, it, it's it's an event now. It's not just like, oh, it's not just Friday night. It's an event. And also the cool thing about Tuello's show is that she'll sneak in a cover here and there. So you don't know what yes. she's going to play and she'll do her own rendition of, you know, whether it's Cher or Britney Spears. And it's so much fun. And then you see this, this room full of people of every walk of life, again, similar to a soccer stadium. And they're just uh-huh. going absolutely insane. And everybody's having like the time of their life. And, you know, and, and, and yeah. it's because, and you're the maestro of that, you know, what, so like, that's, that's what I'm trying to get. Like, what is, how does that feel? You know, it's unlike, you know, soccer, when you're in a, a football game, it is wild, right? I've been to one and it is, you hear the roar of the crowd. You hear the, the, I mean, it's sizzling and you can feel it through your body. And I can imagine that like soccer players are there and it drives them to a certain point. Um, for for me, I hear it, 
But because I'm so nervous <laughs> and so nervous and so and sometimes like I really get into a show and I've already created like and set my spirit to be in a specific place. And for me to relay and give off everything to the point where at the end of the show, I'm so tired because I, I have tried to give you everything that I got that day. And so um, I can't really tell. I would hope that like, what music does for me, and I'm hoping that's how maybe I feel for people in the audience or people coming to see me, is when I sing, I, I'm on a high, <laughs> you know, like I, there's something about singing that's fulfilled this part of me that I can't even begin to tell you. So when I sing, each time I sing, like, even though sometimes my voice irritates me, I'm, I am transported to a different place. I am really on a high, you know? And so I, I, you know, I would think that it feels the same with, with um, soccer players and like, you know, um, the audiences there, that they would, they would feel the high because of me or they would feel a high because of, you know, I don't know, different things, but no. <laughs> I know you were a little apprehensive about coming on because as you said, you have watched the game before, but not as hardcore for the fan as, you know, some of the other guests I've had on. And that's totally yeah. fine. But here's the thing, like you've been all around the world and have watched the game with different audiences and different crowds and different cultures. Right. How is it different watching a match in South Africa than it is in Colombia, than it is in Germany, than it is in New York? Um, so I think watching, oh my gosh, ah, it's so great because like, I've watched matches in every one of those places. I know. I um, <laughs> so... And, and it's funny because I'm not a huge super fan of like soccer, but I do notice in each and every place that I go when soccer's playing for some reason. I think it's just because I grew up with, you know, everyone in town on a Sunday watching soccer. And you can hear the roar of everyone. And like you could live next to like different people and, um, they all would like go to a specific place to go and watch it. We go and watch it at our uncle's place. And all of the houses have different teams they're like, you know, going with. <laughs> and you could hear everyone roar or shout or go crazy or run around like when people win. Um, and, and that's like the, the really coolest thing. Like, and in South Africa, I like that's what that I know growing up and how people used to be so excited and talk to the TV and like, um, or like, you know, it's like, it's as exciting, I think, as when you watch soccer in South America. Okay, um, yeah. Th there's, there's a level of um, animation and the greatness in like this particular sport, you know? Um, People just love it so much. And even the radio is announced differently from the US or like particularly England where everyone's like super, super calm about it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, so like, watching it in South Africa was always a lot of fun, particularly watching the league and not really, I think the South African team. I love the South, the South African team, of course, I think, you know, it's the South African team, but the leagues are the ones that I think people really um, stand with but sure. like watching it 
compared to like watching it in, I think I watched the World Cup, um, part of the World Cup in, in Belgium. And like, I love the German soccer team. For, I just feel like, you know what you're going to get. And soccer, that's a, that's me, a fair assessment. It's too emotional. Yes, it, like soccer, even though I don't like it, is very emotional for me. <laughs> like, I, I, I need to know what I'm going to get because, you know, Bafana Bafana is going to make me crazy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it, 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 too much volatility there. Too much, too many, too much of the politics. Um, and like Germany, you know what you're going to get. And yeah, it's it's for lack of a better word, bland but hardworking, and they'll push to the end, and you'll you'll be satisfied that they tried, you know, that they worked hard and they made it. Um, whereas in South Africa, I feel like there's so much politics to the soccer that at first, when they do make the picks for even like the World Cup you're already unsatisfied because you're like, but why didn't that guy who's playing in a league in Europe come to play for the, for the you know, for the home team? <laughs> Things like that. But already the politics of it is a lot, including like the coaches of, of the South African teams um, and like watching soccer from soccer of like, from 20 years ago to now really, really change a lot in South Africa because of, so many so many things um in belgium when we went to watch it, it it was belgium against i think it was germany or the, uh, another european country and we watched it in a field oh wow so many people and it was so calm and so orderly and <laughs> you know like I'm expecting people to be singing like South Africans sing at like soccer events or sporting events. And it was like so, it was so calm and people were just like drinking beer and watching and, ah, you know, and even, <laughs> and it would stop at a certain point quickly and calm. Um, and I think like Germany, you, you, you know, you know what you're going to get. Um, and no one is particularly disappointed or you or you don't just don't get any reaction, you know. Um, so it, it was fun. It was very orderly. It was um, in what whereas in like Colombia, um, I got to be in Colombia throughout all of like the Copa. I think it's yeah. the South American. Yeah. Um, and oh my gosh, the roar in town when I, um, I forgot which which one it was the, the, one of the very first ones when Colombia was playing against. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forget, I forget which one, but I turned it on, and I had a little place there, and I was like, I'm just going to watch it by myself in Spanish. <laughs> and, the game's and universal. It, you don't need to know the language. It's good. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. And also, like the the commentating tells you everything um and so like that was so much fun and i could really get the sense of how people really love soccer to the point where like when you're in colombia and soccer's playing in the afternoon i think people have to assume that people are not working (laughs) they are watching soccer 
it is impossible like you walk in the street and you're trying to tell people just people you know um sorry can you please move um oh it, trying to walk in between people that are just standing in the street watching a screen from the other side of the road like it's like people are entranced like cannot control themselves just like watching soccer so that was a very different experience for me i was just like wow like soccer is is the word here like people people believe in it it is spiritual it's like everything in in colombia um and it was just kind of fun so i would know when i'm walking around and like going to buy something that oh oh no oh yeah people are like everyone who's standing watching something or uncontrollable in a specific place or when you you know get into the supermarket and no one not even security is looking at you oh it's soccer soccer oh you know another team is playing against it. it's like so so intense wow um yeah wow. all right and i got to and i got to watch this the south african when south africa hosted the world cup yes I that actually was bad. i got to, yeah i watched it in new york city um i have deep issues with Bafana Bafana. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I I am very proud of Banyana Banyana, which is the women's team. Whereas Bafana Bafana, you know, I can't tell you I am at all loyal to them. Um, because you know, I'm it, it makes me too emotional. I can't want them to do something that they're not doing. Like, you know, I know what I'm getting already. <laughs> so um when obviously south africa i think for the for the world cup would automatically qualify yes during that world cup and we we were lucky because we were hosting i you know i'll tell you now i don't think it might be a long time coming before we you know we actually qualify for world cup because because it's bad you know the thing, like, and that's what kind of breaks my heart because I'm always watching, even, you know, when the African Cup of Nations qualifiers, you know, it was it was weird not seeing them at AFCON uh, earlier yep. this year. And yep. as I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, but the sum is, the, like, the players are there. Like, the, the you have the talent. The talent is there. Right. Like, why doesn't it click? It's infuriating. I, I don't get it. There, there's so many things that, um, Banyana Banyana, for one, has a South African coach. Mm. Um, I think I think that makes the difference. Yeah, I was just talking to my brother about this. It makes such a huge difference um, because each and every region in the world has a style about how they play, right? Yes. And to not recognize to have coaches that don't recognize and can enhance that and make it better is a problem. And I think that's what Bafana Bafana is experiencing because there's been, there's just too many, too many coaches who come from a different world of soccer who come in and go, but this is not the right way of soccer. You should be playing it like this. And I really think South Africans and Southern Africans in general, but there's a style of soccer that could make them really good it's just that it's being it's being discouraged 
Right. Because um, I mean, when I was in South Africa in 2020, I went to a match. I saw Cape Town City play at the beautiful oh. Cape Town Stadium. And it oh, is a cool. different style of game that it's it's more long ball. It's a lot of like, yeah. it, it almost looks like American football because the ball's traveling. So it's getting kicked from literally one end of the field to the other. But it was so unique to me. Because I'm used to Italian right. soccer where it's running and aggressive. Moving. <laughs> English soccer and German soccer, as you said, very tactical. So right. I was like, and Colombian soccer and Brazilian and, and Argentine is, is very, it's, it's very intense. And the running is there. Mm-hmm. But this was like, the, it's being, the ball's being played out from the back. And I'm watching yeah. it and all going, this shouldn't what work. Going what, on? It, what, what is going <laughs> on? This is, this is foreign to me. It's new. But yes. yes. But it's working and it's working for them. They're scoring and they're doing well with this. So like you could think it's something like that where like a foreign coach comes in, sees that style. Now I'm not saying every team plays that style, but in South Africa rather, but sees Mm -hmm. that style and says, "Eh, what is this? No, play it this way. Like do it, do the European model or do the South American model. And that's not the South African identity. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, a, a long time ago, I during even during uh, the apartheid like times when they were black and white teams, even then, like I think soccer was way better. <laughs> you know, I think wow. people, you know, when when the new South Africa came into being, that soccer team was great um, because it was still South African coaches. It was still the finesse of how South African. Um, players play is is specific and it was being enhanced back then um i think for now you know there's a coach here who a south african coach who now coaches a a different african um league team i think it's the egyptian team oh pizza pizza Pizza, you're talking you're talking about pizza right yes yeah my man i love him he's great He's amazing. I think, you know, and, and that's the issue with like South African, where you find South African players who play overseas, who who do really well. You find a coach like him who who has enhanced his style of coaching, um, particularly in a South African team and for Africans that can go really, really far. To not recognize that, you know, for South Africa not to recognize that they could be um, really supporting the the form of playing um, and enhancing it and giving it all of the you know all of the support in South Africa. I, you know, usually South Africans, I think we always want to find things from outside to to make us really great or better but don't see the small things within ourselves that that could work and so like pizza could could recognize that um with the team in south africa and i think because he made it so good this is how he made himself stand out and to right. like i mean bafana bafana could do so well i i really think they are really amazing coaches who need a chance in south africa to be able to bring out like that finesse that style and 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 obviously improve it you know so for sure no what do i know i don't know soccer i'm just talking politics right now but hey (laughs) it's all working because it's all intermixed i mean it all Uh that's the thing is that you know when you break down this game 
it it is a ref- my favorite book on this sport is called How Soccer Explains the World by Franklin Four, and I've oh. I've talked about this book uh, a bunch of times, and mm-hmm. I read it I don't know 15, 16, 17, I don't know I read it I read it over a decade ago it was a very long time ago, and wow. it completely opened my eyes to what this game can do and how it is how it does mirror society, and I've noticed that. Mm. One thing that is interesting about it, we, we talked about it prior, you, you, you mentioned it earlier, how male politicians would come to your mother to seek advice. Mm. And we That's see right. in the news and, and the sad headlines that come out of South Africa, how much of a, um, a misogynistic society it still is in, in, in there. And, and it, now, as you talked about and you praised Bayana Bayana, and it almost, yep. in a lot of ways, it parallels what happens here in the women's team in America, where, bef- mm. where the U.S. men's team gets all the acclaim, but have done not yep. won anything. And yet you have Bayana Bayana, who are these phenomenal, just badass yeah. women doing just amazing stuff. Now, like it's the wild. women's national team. And now here's the thing is that because, yep. you know, South Africa still has its problems with uh, with sh- chauvinism and the yep. and uh, machismo, you know, and that and that <laughs> toxic masculinity, you know, do, yes. does Bayana Bayana get the same support as Bafana Bafana? And again, yeah. it all mirrors itself. It all mirrors society. So I I know the answer to the question, but mm-hmm. I want to hear your take on it. Hmm. Uh, sorry, question again. So I'm sorry. So like, does Bayana Bayana get the same support as Bafana Bafana? No. No. Um, I, I, I mean, obviously not. You know, right. like, and, and I'm so glad you talked about, like, you know, soccer as a mirror to society. Um, it definitely is that. Like, I, I mean, South Africa obviously also like suffers from, from, um, like a deep and unknown masculine identity that is toxic, you know, um, uh, a society where also like has disempowered men um, for a long time that, you know, they're trying to also like, I don't know, hold in power. Um, that it, there's also a lot of um i forget what the word is but like there's like this whole thing where like women are murdered a lot in south africa it happens in in mexico too um there's there's a whole issue with you know i was just listening to the radio and a gentleman said oh i mean yeah south africa will never have a woman president you know I, I just couldn't, he was calling into the radio. Yeah, he was, he was just calling into the radio and he was just like, yeah, no, it, it just will never happen, you know? And so <laughs> I, I, can, I can almost imagine the struggle that Banyana Banyana have had to go through having to prove themselves and then still having to ask for what they're supposed to get, um, <laughs> you know, in terms of being supported. So, um, yeah, I, I, this is the world we live in, you know? I mean, so I, every time I go into the studio and I meet engineers, they usually don't think that I can think. 
You know what I mean? And I'm talking about like musicians who are open-minded, who you expect to be open-minded and like creatives and all of that. And usually everyone's just like, um, okay, you don't even have to be in the studio. I mean, like, it's okay, I'll do this. And I'm just like, yeah, actually, I wrote all of this. You know, I wrote, I wrote some of, like, sometimes I wrote all of the parts for the, for the song. <laughs> like, I kind of want to engineer with you, you know? That type of thing, like, people still don't believe it. I come across that all of the time. So even when I'm, like, I say to people, I really, really like a man in music, in like a studio or something, I really don't want it to be like this. I think it'd be better like this. I just get a solid, I hear you, I'm going to be kind to you and then do whatever I want to do. I mean, and so I can imagine any woman in any field right now being like, like for me, I feel like I'm in that way a nerd. Like I want every part of the music process. And I do every part of it. Like I, I enjoy it. I enjoy engineering. Like you know, I enjoy doing all of this. Um, but like I can imagine every woman who nerds out about what they do, being, you know, shunned or being, you know, disregarded because you know, they know what they what they know what they know, and they love doing their work. Um, and no one actually believes us. So like, to see Banyana Banyana like this, or even the US team, I think it's usually like, you still don't know what you're doing, you know? Of course your, your push-ups are not the same push-ups as like the men's push-ups. Like, I don't know. I don't know what men are thinking, you know? I can't think for men. Like, it is like the craziest thing to have to, to overcome this your whole life through. And this is like, this is a career, you know? people are going to be playing soccer for as long as they can. And to imagine that whole time being, um, yeah, being treated like that is, is wild to me, you know, and also empowering because wow, you overcame it. <laughs> you tried to. Now time for a coffee break. Curva Mundial is sponsored by Mod Cup Coffee in Jersey City. But you can get it anywhere in the world from ModCup.com. ModCup. Drink modern coffee. Use code MUNDIAL for 10% off your first order. I mean, we, we've unpacked so much in this, in this interview. I mean, from your family history to, you know, how you grew up, your life story in itself. I mean, but then also how we see and look at the world through both music and and this game and soccer for someone who like yourself like do you ever just like take a breath and be like holy shit like I'm doing it like I'm doing I'm doing the things that at points in my life I was told I couldn't do and I mean you're you're a, you're a wrecking ball on your own Tuello. like do you ever think like wow like I'm here to now open a door for somebody else and have that, whether it is through music or sport or politics or whatever, like, do you like take that moment and give yourself the credit too? No, actually. Um, I thought about something like this the other day because usually I'm just like, I'm not there yet. I remember when the Kennedy Center a couple of years ago commissioned a work to be written about me, like to a theater production to be written about me. I just played for the Kennedy Center once. 
Um, <laughs> and so when that came to my doorstep, I was like, folks, I'm not dead yet. Like, we can't write a story about me. I'm young <laughs> and I'm still about to like do things, you know? Um, but like, I am, I know what I can do. Let me say that. I know my potential and I know how far I can push myself. And I kind of am still at the point where I'm just like, just let me, let me do this first. Let me show you how far I can go. <laughs> you know, let me show, show you how, how good I can sing. Let me show you how like, I have so much great music and I have so many thoughts and I want to, to, to boggle minds, you know, and I, and I can. And so I'm still at that point where I'm like, folks, please just let me show you. Just like allow me to do this and give me the opportunity because I can, because I can. Um, and so I'm still there and I sometimes can't reflect. I am, um, I, I think I'm unsatisfied because I know what I can do. Yeah, so, so I still want to have an opportunity to like, to do all of that. Um, but I did think about it and I was just like, you know, if I can, because I think I'm the only African woman in rock uh, currently, I would, I, I think Africans can pl play everything. Perhaps some other African girl who wants to play rock might look at me, or rather I might open up a little, a little bit, and I'm planning to open up a huge space um, for their, you know, for them to be able to play on a world stage. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you are, again, just like, just an amazing talent, probably one of the bravest people I know, and just continue to do, just, yeah, but you continue to just like, I don't know, make me just feel so inspired. And, you know, whenever I think of, oh. a, you know how you sometimes think of your mom and say like, what would St. Margaret do? I kind of yeah. get to the point where I'm sometimes like, what would Tuello do? And I mean that. Like, I'm like, oh, all right. You oh, know, let's just try it. Great. Let's just try it. Let's just try it. So try it. Yeah. That's it. Um, and we're doing it, right? We're trying this. That's awesome. Um yes. we're, in the, we're in the we're in the final section of the of the podcast, of the interview. I can't thank oh. you enough. This has been just I, again, just beyond words, eternal gratitude to you. Um, I'm going to ask you three questions. It's the same three questions I ask everybody. Uh, okay. And we're going to start off. So you can answer for Bafana Bafana or Bayana Bayana. But if you could bring back one retired player to the team, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Oh. Who would it be and why? Um. One retired player. I mean, I grew up with like, <laughs> he's a coach right now. I grew up with Benny McCarthy being like yes! one of one of the best players. You know, I, I was a child then, but like you can imagine how we look. I just thought he was amazing because everyone loved him. So he's a coach right now. Yeah. And I think also he's a formidable coach. Um, yeah, I think that. I also think about he him gets like, it. okay, I love it. Because I think about him often for Bafana Bafana as a national team, as we talked about coaches earlier, like in, I yes. think it was Cape Town City's first season ever, he managed them and won the title in like the first year. Wild. 
Yeah, wild. wild. And it's just, well, yeah. clearly he knows what he's doing. He was a great player. He's Absolutely. a formidable coach. Let him, you know. Uh, great. I love that answer. And I love him. And I think he's so underrated. And I want him. Yeah, I think I, so. Too. I one day want him on. <laughs> I want to chat with him one day. Him and I need to have a chat. Oh, my gosh. You <laughs> definitely should. Yes, he's pretty cool, I think. Uh, if now this generally applies to a club, but um, let's pretend we live in a world where, you know, anybody can play for any national team. You are 1% South African and therefore you qualify to play for the South African national team. <laughs> everybody, everybody on planet earth is 1% South African somehow in, in this fantasy world. Yes, right. true. If, if you know, actually, yeah, I mean, the birthplace of, you know, the first human was was found yes. in, in your country. Very so true. yes, you're all South African. Um, so if your team, so if this actually works the best for you. If if your team, Bafana Bafana, Bayana Bayana, could sign one player today, who would it be and why? Oh, oh gosh, really, really? Who who would it be and why? I don't know who. I have no idea. All right. Oh my gosh, now you're going to make me research this. <laughs> Even after this, I'm going to be crazy looking it up. Oh. Going... <laughs> it could be anybody you want. It could be it could be Messi, it could be Ronaldo, it could be Mbappe, it could be uh it could be Megan Rapino, it could be uh anybody you want. It... M- M- Megan Rapino is the US um women's, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It could be Carly Lloyd. It could be anybody you want. Also American. Oh my gosh. It could be anyone. I don't know in terms of fit, you know? Okay. That's um, fine. That also that's that's very that's a very logical answer. It's not just like, hey, we're gonna get this person and hope we win a trophy. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I just really think there's a there's so much in in that South Africa has to enhance and support in soccer um that there's so many players there's so many people who need an opportunity to play um who don't have the opportunity nor like um just the access to to these teams um yeah okay you know, and to training right. so all right I, that totally works I get it. I can send you an email and then you'll add it. You'll be like, do you want to send me an email? She's obsessive. She's a crazy obsessive person. I love it. I love it. And finally, and finally, and this one should, is either going to be very easy or extremely hard, but don't be nervous. What has been your favorite moment as a fan? The men. The men with hot bodies. (laughs) Favorite moment ever. Like, I, you know, I'm not a true soccer fan, so... I can like watch soccer and go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like I'll I'll spend all of soccer just just like oogling, oogling. It's it's terrible, but I mean, oh my goodness. The bodies are to die for. To are die we? for. That that's it. That's my favorite, favorite soccer moment. Favorite soccer moments are just like men running and like looking like powerhouses with hot bodies oh you, wow you are the second person that has come on Corva Mundial and has said the exact same thing really 
really? Yes. I'm glad yeah. because it is a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. Oh, it, it certainly is a thing. And look, I remember growing up when my sister was growing up and the 2006 <laughs> World Cup was happening. I had posters of the Italian national team in my bedroom, but she did too. But she had the, the Italian national team right before the 2006 World Cup had... Uh -huh had all decided, or I'm sorry, were sponsored by Dolce & Gabbana and did all underwear ads that summer. Oh my God. So she also had the Italian men's national team in her bedroom, yes. but in their in underwear. Their undies. So in like, their undies. In I their undies. So it's like, you're in my room and you've got them in the, in the blue regalia <laughs> that they're wearing. And then you walk, you know, right up the stairs, you go into her room and then there's the same players. Francesco Totti, Gennaro Gattuso, Del Piero, <laughs> just... And their soccer balls are just right there. And that was it. Boom. So, Love you it. know, <laughs> it, uh, so, so uh, it's a thing for sure. It's a thing yeah. for sure. <laughs> it's important. It is important, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Whatever works. Tuelo, you are constantly a shining light and just a beacon of inspiration. And thank you so much for coming on. And I hope it wasn't as nerve wracking as you thought it would be. I hope it was, I hope it was a cool combo. Follow us on Twitter at Curva Mundial Pod and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.